Uh, we'll hear argument now in number 93-1456, U.S. Term Limits, Inc., versus Ray Thornton, 93-1828, consolidated, Winston Bryant versus Bobby E. Hill. Uh, General Bryant. Thank you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the State of Arkansas is before this Court today defending its constitutional authority to encourage rotation and office of its congressional delegation. Amendment 73, which would have accomplished that objective, was ruled unconstitutional by the Arkansas Supreme Court. The Court held that Amendment 73 amounted to a qualification. And further, that the state of Arkansas could not add additional qualifications to those listed in Article 1, Sections 2 and 3. We disagree with that ruling. Amendment 73 is not a qualification. But even if it is a qualification, the state of Arkansas has the authority to add additional qualifications to those listed in Article 1, Sections 2 and 3. Our founding fathers envisioned a Congress of citizen legislators who would serve a while, return and mix with the people, and not stay in office indefinitely. And during the 18th and 19th centuries, voluntary rotation was a common practice. During the 20th century, we have seen a dramatic increase in the number of long-term entrenched incumbents. Entrenched incumbency makes for an electoral system that is less fair, less competitive, and less representative. Amendment 73 was adopted in 1992 by the people of Arkansas overwhelmingly, by a 60% to 40% majority. Twenty-two states now have some form of term limit proposals or ballot access initiatives on their books. Thirty-seven states have term limits that limit the terms of the executive branch officials of those states or the legislative branch officials of those states. Is the theory that by this rotation, the policy that the legislators adopt will be different in one system than in the other system? That is, that is to say, are there policy implications to electing an incumbent as opposed to a non-incumbent? Uh, yes, Your Honor, th that is correct. That issue is not before this court, however, but the people of Arkansas, by Amendment 73, have decided to encourage rotation in office to, to make the election process more fair and more competitive. Well, but you're explaining the rationale for the, for the limitation. And I'm asking if part of that rationale is that rotated... Uh, representatives will vote differently than incumbents would have, will shape public policy in a different way. Your Honor, they, they would be more beholden to the people under the theory uh, of Amendment 73 because they would not be career politicians. Uh, they would be more responsive to the people. So there would be a difference in the kind and the shape and the policies of the legislation that they would enact. There could be, Your Honor. Well, is that the justification for the rule, or isn't it? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. Amendment 73 provides for strict term limits for certain state elected officials in Arkansas. 
It denies ballot access to multi-term congressional incumbents, but does allow those incumbents, after serving a maximum number of terms allowed by Amendment 73, to run as a write-in candidate. But once, uh, once they're denied the ballot access, they're denied it for life. Is that right? That is correct, Your Honor. Doesn't the permanency of the denial uh, carry a suggestion of what we would normally refer to as a qualification? Uh, no, Your Honor. The definition of a ballot access proposal like Amendment 73, as opposed to a qualification, is put forth in our brief, and that is a qualification is something that absolutely prohibits a candidate from serving, even if elected. Well, I realize that's your position, but in any case, your position would take us beyond Stora, wouldn't it? Uh, no, Your Honor. Well, in Stora, uh, may maybe I'm, my recollection is wrong. In Stora, I thought there wasn't a lifetime disqualification. That is correct, Your Honor. It, if, if you, you know, you had been party-affiliated within a certain period of time, you couldn't be there as an independent, but the next election was coming, and uh, that was a new day. Isn't that right, in Stora? That is correct, uh, so Your Stora Honor. Stora didn't have that implication of permanence, uh, which is, in fact, a feature of, of the Arkansas system. That is correct, Your Honor, but the state's uh, position is that Amendment 73 is consistent with Stora. The difference being that in, uh, um, under Amendment 73, a candidate can actually serve a couple of terms in the Senate or three terms in the House, so it does not absolutely prohibit a candidate from serving. After that candidate reaches a maximum number of terms, then obviously uh, that candidate is, is denied access to the ballot. General President. Any case where a group based on past experience, past lawful experience, has been categorically hobbled in this way, it's not simply a handicap in the race if the only access they have is as a write-in, is it? Your Honor, the, uh, uh, to answer your question, it, uh, the state does not take the position that Amendment 73 is an absolute handicap. Because we're dealing with multi-term incumbents who would have great name recognition, uh, resources available to them that ordinary challenges would not have. I'm trying to contrast a mere handicap from a hobbling. And it seems to me this falls in the latter category. Uh, no, Your Honor, the state's position is that Amendment 73 Will it allow a candidate to serve even if elected? And under that scenario, under that definition that we put forth to this court, would amount to only a ballot access regulation. Well, General Bryant, a good many states have passed so-called term limit measures that just uh, disable a candidate from appearing on the ballot for uh, a short period of time. Isn't that correct? That is correct, Your Honor. And Arkansas has a very different provision in that it extends uh, for the rest of that particular candidate's life. That is correct, Your Honor. Uh, do you think that there may well be, even if you are correct that it is seen as a ballot access measure, that there may be First Amendment issues at stake here, the associational rights, for instance, of the political party that might want to have the candidate uh, on the ballot as its candidate? Yes, Your Honor, there are. And, and are, are those issues issues that were resolved in the courts below? No, Your Honor. So 
that would be open on remand, I assume, mm -hmm. even if we agreed with you it were a ballot access measure? That is correct, Your Honor. That is correct. They, those, you said the First Amendment issues were presented to the Supreme Court of Arkansas, but not decided by it. That is correct, Your Honor. Amendment 73 is also consistent with this Court's jurisprudence in Burdick versus Takushi, a, a case from Hawaii. In that particular case, the state of Hawaii had adopted a statutory scheme uh, that allowed uh, write-in voting to be completely banned. And in this yes, and what about a state like Hawaii that has no write-in uh, voting allowed at all? Uh, Your Honor, it become a qualification. It, it would become a qualification at that point if there is no write-in provision. But even assuming, how, how is that? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how that makes it a qualification. It, it seems to me the test for whatever it's a qualification is is whether uh, when a person has been uh, um, uh, uh, supposedly elected and reports to Congress, Congress can sit in judgment and say this person is not qualified. Now, if, if that should happen, uh, what disqualification would there be? Uh, Your Honor, under that scenario, uh, Congress can consider the, uh, obviously can consider under Article 1, Section 5, uh, the qualifications and under, under the position of the state in this particular case, a, a pure right in, a, a pure uh, term limits proposal. Wait, let's assume in Hawaii the person gets on the ballot by mistake, or in Arkansas, an incumbent who has uh, no right to be on the ballot is put on the ballot and gets elected. All right? If, Report if to Congress. Now, could Congress sit in judgment and exclude that person? Uh, yes, Your Honor, under Article 1, Section 5, if the person were, were not properly qualified, yes. Well, then it, then it is a qualification in, in Arkansas. You, you, do you say that if somebody gets on the ballot by mistake in Arkansas and is elected, Congress can exclude that person? Uh, Your Honor, I was considering it under the, uh, a pure term limits proposal. I'm not talking, uh, I'm talking about under Hawaii exclusion from the ballot system. It's not a term limits proposal. It's just exclusion from the ballot, but entirely no write-in allowed either, and, uh, and, and the Arkansas system. And under the Arkansas system, Your Honor, the Congress uh, uh, could not uh, consider the Amendment uh, 73 uh, uh, proposal as a qualification under that scenario. It seems to me they couldn't with respect to Hawaii either. Hawaii doesn't say you shall not serve. It just says you shall not get on the ballot, and people won't be able to vote for you. That's if that correct. happens, you're not unqualified. That's correct, Your Honor. Uh, Could I ask you, 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 you say that this is, this is not a qualification. Is it a time, place, or manner restriction? Uh, yes, it is. It is. Is there such a thing as something that is neither the one nor the other? It is neither a qualification nor a time, place, and manner restriction? Uh, either a qualification. Uh, no, Your Honor. It's either one or the other. It's Everything one. falls into one or the other category. According to our category, would a law providing that you only count half the votes of a candidate fall? Would that be a qualification or a time, place, and manner? <laughs> that would be something different. That would uh, probably fall into time, place, and manner, Your Honor. But time, place, and manner? But Which of the three is the time, place, or manner? Be <laughs> the matter. Then the manner, okay. Uh, but, Your Honor, uh, that would have to undergo First and Fourteenth Amendment scrutiny uh, if, uh, if that proposal were adopted by the state. But if, it, if it's time, place, and manner, this means, of course, that the, that the current Congress, composed mainly of incumbents, 
can simply revise the Arkansas uh, law, right? That is correct, Your Honor. And uh, indeed, uh, uh, the current Congress uh, could revise those laws that don't provide for term limitations or don't provide for exclusion from, uh, from ballot access to uh, incumbents. Uh, yes, Your Honor. So, so, in effect, you could have the, uh, uh, the, the federal legislature doing something that discourages, uh, uh, that discourages incumbency. Yes, Your Honor, uh, under Article One, Section 4. What could the federal legislature do? The, the federal legislature, uh, Your Honor, is, uh, is given authority under Article One, Section 4 to uh, override any, anything the states do in the area. Yes, but are you suggesting that it could do any, the federal legislature could do anything more than simply negate a state regulation? Yes, Your Honor. And what would be the authority for that? Uh, Article 1, Section 4 would give Congress uh, that authority, Your Honor. To do more than just negate a state regulation? Yes, Your Honor. And what, what, what part of the language is it of, of that section that... that the, the term manner, Your Honor, under, uh, under Article 1, Section 4, has a very broad, expansive meaning. And during the ratification debates, uh, the states were concerned about the fact that under Article 1, Section 4, Congress was being given the authority, which the states uh, uh, concluded would allow Congress to override anything the states did in the area. Uh, the uh, Article 1, Section 4 uh, clause uh, was sold on the basis that Congress needed the authority or the power to preserve its, uh, the, the Union, if necessary. And so Article 1, Section 4 has a, uh, is very broad in its, uh, in its meaning and uh, would uh, authorize Congress uh, to uh, adopt legislation in the area. So that even though perhaps the state hasn't acted, Congress could, uh, by, by law, make regulations? Governing the time, place, and manner? Yes, Your Honor. And, in fact, Congress could uh, override Amendment 73 if Congress so desired. But what if, what, if, what if Arkansas had made no provision for term limits at all? Could Congress step in and make a provision for term limits? Yes, Your Honor. Under Article 1, Section 4, Congress could do that. You mentioned that there were qualifications that don't come from the Constitution itself. You started out your argument by saying the states can add qualifications. Now you've told us that there are only two categories. There's qualifications and there's time, place, and manner. But you see two categories of qualifications, I gather, because you told us that some come from the Constitution and then there are others that the states can add. So what What's the category of qualifications, extra constitution, that the state can add that are not time, place, and manner regulations? Your Honor, the, the qualifications that the states could add would all be time, place, and manner uh, under Article One, Section 4. Uh, also, the state could, uh, if there are some enumerated, uh, uh, if, there, if Article One, Section 4 uh, does not covered uh, some particular areas, uh, Amendment 10 would re uh, allow the states to act in that particular area. But the states have always added additional qualifications. Uh, uh, in fact, when the Constitution was adopted by uh, the states, uh, the state of Virginia had a property qualification as well as a uh, residency requirement. If you, if you call those qualifications, can the state override them? Uh, no, Your Honor. 
So this, uh, I'm sorry. Can the Congress override? Yes, Your Honor. The Congress could under Article Anything that the State uh, adds as either a qualification or a time, place, and manner can be overridden by the Congress? Uh, Your Honor, the, the uh, specific provisions that can be overridden by Congress are, are the uh, Article I, Section 4, uh, uh, grants of authority to the state. Are, are there Congress. some qualifications that the state can add, and I th- th- this was suggested by Justice Ginsburg's question, that cannot be overridden by the Congress? Uh, none comes to mind, Your Honor. Uh, the state's the Congress can't impose any qualifications, can it? Yes, Your Honor. Congress oh. can impose additional qualifications. What's the source of that? Where do you find the authority for that? Article 1, Section 4. That uh, doesn't talk about qualifications. That talks about time, place, and manner. Yes, Your Honor. But under our definition, uh, the, uh, the Congress can add additional qualifications based on Article 1, Section 4 authority, and Congress has done so since the very first Congress. In the very first Congress... You think Congress could pass a statute saying every senator must be at least 50 years old? Uh, Congress could you, pass. What, what's your yes, you yes, Your Honor. They could pass such a statute. Sub, of course, it would be subject to First and uh, Fifth Amendment. Now, where do you get that? You don't get that from the Tenth Amendment. Where does that come from? That comes under Article One, Section Four, Authority, Your Honor. That, but that's time, place, and manner, not qualifications. I thought you make a distinction between the two. You make no distinction between time, place, and manner and qualifications. Uh, yes, we make a distinction, Your Honor. The, the well, you narrow- must be fifty has nothing to do with time, place, and manner of elections at all. It has to do purely with qualifications. The the narrow issue before this court is whether or not Amendment 73 amounts to a ballot access regulation. If it amounts to a qualification, the states as well as Congress can add additional qualifications uh, to those listed in Article. Well, I can understand. I can understand why you argue the states can uh, on, uh, on the basis of the Tenth Amendment. I don't know where where the Congress gets the power to do that. And that is under Article One, Section Four, Your Honor. That doesn't relate to qualifications. That relates to time, place, and manner. Is there no qualification that is not a time, place, and manner provision? Every qualification is a time, place, and manner provision? Yes, Your Honor. That, uh, that would be consistent with the state's position. Every that qualification under that, is a time, place, and manner. Under that theory that we advance. How is the age qualification a time, place, and manner? How would a, a qualification that every elected uh, senator must have a college degree, how is that a time, place, and manner qualification or condition? Oh, Your Honor... That uh, is a time, place, and manner because uh, if, if the state of Arkansas or Congress uh, did that, that would be uh, that, that is constitutional according to our position under Article One, Section Four. However, it would have to pass uh, constitutional muster, and, and that is a test under the ballot access. That's a, that is a manner condition, as it were. Uh, yes, Your Honor, that could be considered a manner. Uh, condition under Article One, uh, Section 4. Well, General Bryant, this is a very remarkable proposition. And uh, does your argument depend in any way on this most unusual interpretation? Your Honor, the, the, the state's argument is, uh, is that Amendment 73 amounts to a ballot access uh, regulation. That is the narrow issue that this Court can reach. If Amendment 73 does, in fact, amount to a qualification, uh, as determined by this Court, uh, then it's the State's position uh, that the State of Arkansas can add additional qualifications under Article 1, Section 4 uh, to those uh, enumerated in the Constitution. But what we're interested to know is, does it follow from that that the Congress could not override that qualification? Where does the Constitution give the Congress authority to override qualifications? 
Because, Your Honor, that qualification would be adopted under Article I, Section 4. Well, but then, then we're right back where, where yes. we're talking about. Let's assume that we tell you that under the Constitution, we think there are two things, two semantic, two juridical categories. One are qualifications, and the other is time, place, and manner. Now, if you said, and if you assume that we hold that a term limit is a qualification, uh, we are exploring whether or not the Congress could override that. And you, you say, oh, well, they can go under Section 4, but we've just stipulated that this is a qualification, and that doesn't apply to Section 4. Under that the gravamen of the argument is that it would be very strange to allow Congress to override a time, place, and manner regulation, but not to override a greater restriction, which is a qualification. And you're, you're, you're not answering that argument because you keep re, uh, resorting to Article 1, Section 4, but that's a very odd interpretation. Your Honor, under that uh, scenario... Uh, then the states would have the authority under Amendment 10. Congress would not have the authority under your scenario to add additional qualifications. Right. On, on, on that assumption, may, may, may we put the question directly that Justice Kennedy alluded to? Isn't there something very odd in a scheme uh, in which the, we'll say, the, the comparatively less important conditions that fall under time, place, and manner can be overridden by Congress? And yet the presumably more fundamental conditions known as qualifications um, would be left entirely to the states. If they couldn't trust the states on time, place, and manner, wouldn't it be odd if they trusted the states on qualifications? Uh, that is correct, Your Honor. Uh, uh, but under uh, the jurisprudence of this Court, ballot access jurisprudence, uh, uh, the states can erect uh, barriers or limitations. Uh, to limit the field of candidates. And so long as that passes constitutional muster, uh, then uh, the states have the authority to do that. Or you might have responded that perhaps uh, they were willing to trust the federal Congress with respect to the relatively minor matters of time, place, and manner, but not willing to trust the federal Congress with respect to the greater matter of qualifications. That's a possibility, isn't it? Yes, Your Honor. <laughs> Mr. Kester, we'll hear from you. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I'd like to start out, I think, by introducing... Mr. Kester, do you adopt the same argument as your predecessor here about everything uh, is either a qualification or a time, place, and manner? No, not, not precisely, Justice O'Connor. It's... I think that the, the question that several members of the Court have been putting really illuminates the, the constitutional structure that we're talking about here. And, and the argument that is being made by the opponents of Amendment 73, first of all, skipping over and pretending that it's, that it's a legal incapacity when it's nothing of the kind. It's a less restrictive alternative that the State has adopted. But skipping over that and accepting the pretense that this is a limitation on service in the Congress, you, you then put to the task of fitting together some provisions of the Constitution. What does the Constitution say with respect to the power of Congress to adopt, say, a term limits provision and apply it to the states? I think the answer to that has to begin by looking at, at the sources of power of Congress and of the states, and they are very different. 
Congress has power only insofar as it is granted in the Constitution. And the only grant of power to Congress to legislate in this area has to come from Article I, Section 4, or, I quickly amend, the Necessary and Proper Clause, which is also part of Article I, Section 4, and nowadays, Section 5 of the 15th Amendment, which has received a very, very broad interpretation. And I don't think that we need to address that at this time, but we recognize that that's very broad. The sources of power of the state are very, very different. And particularly when you have legislation, a constitutional amendment that the people of Arkansas adopted and imposed on themselves. They're not reaching out. This is not a state trying to regulate interstate commerce and other states. This is a law which, if anything, hurts the people of Arkansas. Well, Mr. Kester, let me ask you this. Do you think Congress has the power under Article One, Section 4, to adopt precisely the kind of law that Arkansas has applicable to all states? No, my answer would be no, it does not, for the following reason. I would say, in the first instance, if you take the words of Article One, Section 4, make or alter, and say that those are of equal force, and I'm not sure that you have to do that at all, I would say Congress has the power to knock out any state law with respect to elections that Congress doesn't like. It's very, very clear that that's why Article I, Section 4 was put in the Constitution. But once you have the law passed, once you have the authority of Congress to do that exercise, that's not the end of the question. That's just the beginning. This Court pointed that out in Williams against Rhodes. There may be power there. But then has the power been properly exercised? First of all, it would obviously be subject to attack under the fifth, the equal protection aspects of the Fifth Amendment, just like a Fourteenth Amendment case, which is what this really is. Secondly, you would have to test it under the Tenth Amendment, because this Court recognized in cases like New York against the United States, Gregory and Ashcroft, that there is a certain core of state authority that really is sacrosanct. And finally, specifically gives you the power to override that state authority if it exists under 10. Section 4 says specifically that, you, that Congress can make or alter such regulation. Right, but we're talking now, as I, as I understood it, Justice Scalia, we're talking about Congress just acting in the first instance. And I'm saying the reason Congress could not do this just by itself in the, in the first instance, say I'm, we're going to pass a statute imposing term limits, is, is furthermore, that you have another provision which we haven't talked about yet this morning, and that's Article 1, Section 2, Clause 1. And that says the people shall choose their representatives in the House of Representatives. If Congress did that, Congress would be acting diametrically opposed to what the people have done. Now, th this is all hypothetical. Let, let me ask you about the Tenth Amendment before we get too sure. far away from that. Sure. If that is the source of the state's power that, that, you, that you assert would justify this, uh, this piece of legislation, uh, then I assume that the state could also uh, say that the state's electors shall not vote for a president who, in, a, who in addition to having the qualifications uh, set forth in, uh, in, uh, in Article 2 of the Constitution, uh, has certain other qualifications. Could the state do that? Now we're talking about a different provision of the Constitution. That's Article 2. Yeah, we and, are, but the Tenth Amendment right. hasn't changed. It's still there. Right, but I, but if they can add conditions to, uh, to, to whom its citizens may vote for for their representatives, why may it not add conditions to the person for whom its electors may vote for as president? Justice Scalia, I would say that the Tenth Amendment applies 
differently in different situations. Well, and you have to you have be convenient, to get but I don't know why. Because the question would be, in your case of the presidential electors, it's like the, it's like the case of Williams against Rhodes. Ohio came in there and said, we have very broad authority on how we select presidential electors. Don't tell us how we do it. We'll decide that. And this court said, wait a second. There are other provisions of the Constitution, and the 14th Amendment is generally sufficient. The, the important thing is that the, the state's authority draws on several sources, not just Article I, Section 4. It draws on the Tenth Amendment. The states started out with the authority to do this. They didn't have to be granted it at all. They started it out. It was reserved. They also were the people of the state. And remember, it's the people who acted here. This but was — Chester, whatever the state does, do you, you — did I understand you to say that it could be overridden by Congress, but Congress has to come second? Congress, whether, whether the state is acting under the Tenth Amendment or whatever source. I, I, I believe, Justice Ginsburg, that the proper understanding of Section 4 is that was the check that the framers intended to place on the states. They were very worried about what kind of election laws the states would pass. But then time, place, and manner is not a limitation, as you see it. It's a, it includes what one might think of as time, place, and manner, plus qualifications, including age 60 is the limit. Any of those things which would be 14th Amendment ish issues. Yes, manner was a word that essentially was unlimited. And that was why Article I, Section 4 was so controversial. We should forget all about the way we use time, place, and manner in the context of the First Amendment, where it's a a, a limited category, the things that don't go to the core of free expression. But here you say it covers everything. Here, here we're construing specific language in the Constitution, and it's, it's different, and the power given to Congress was broad enough to do whatever was necessary to keep the states from passing inappropriate legislation. But I don't see why it isn't also broad enough to authorize Congress to act in the first instance. It is, it, Justice Souter, in the first instance, it may well be. But then Congress is checked in a number of ways, and in some ways that the state isn't. Particularly if you look by other provisions. By other provisions. And in particular, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 1, which here is a source of the state's power, an independent source of the state's power. But when Congress acts, it becomes a restriction, if anything, on Congress' power, because there you have Congress going in and saying to the people of the state, you can't do what you want. Well, if that is a restriction, it just, it just, it just negates, uh, it just negates uh, uh, Section 4. Uh, to that to whatever, that whatever the people if, do is okay, as long, right? No, you, you, no, not at all. You simply read it that broadly or it negates Section 4. No, it, it, in that particular case, it might. Yes. So long as the people of a state vote for this time, place, and manner restriction, Congress can't do anything about it. Are, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I, 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 That's what I, I did not express myself clearly then. Well, I didn't whatever. understand clearly. Well, yes. whatever. Uh, Congress, Congress has power. I would urge upon the Court. And I think that this is very, very clear when you look at the history of Article I, Section 4. Congress has power granted there, controversial power. They, a lot of them didn't like it. To go in and say, we don't like your state election law. They don't even have to say it's unconstitutional. All they have to say is... May I ask this question to be sure I understand your theory? I understand you're saying if it's a time, place, and manner regulation adopted by the state, the, the Congress can modify it. 
Now, supposing it's a qualification, there are two ways we can look at the Arkansas law, and assume they take it to be a qualification rather than a ballot access matter. Could Congress amend that? Well, yes, I, I think they, I think they could. They, it, because otherwise, you're driven. You're driven, and this is where the, some of the. And argument you're adopting uh, the, the attorney general's position that a manner includes a qualification. Well, what I'm what I'm saying is, yes, manner is is the broad word. That's which the includes qualifications. Surely, it has to, because otherwise, as as, as I believe. Well, it doesn't Justice have to. One about. can say qualifications are things like being over fifty, no. and and manner are things like where you hold your elections. And like one doesn't have to say that, but I can understand that. But that's your view of the, but, but, of the word manner. But, art, but otherwise, Article Four, the power of Congress in Article Four, would make no sense, because then you'd be in a position, and this is where the Solicitor General's argument leaves you, is saying that Congress would have the power to override minor state laws, but not huge laws. It would make well, no sense unless there is a prohibition upon additional qualifications, in which case it would make perfect sense. And, and, it and, only would make no sense under your theory of the Constitution. And, but I, I submit that my, my, my theory of the Constitution, Justice Scalia, uh, has historical validity and makes sense when you well, provide Under your theory, Mr. Kester, uh, could Congress say that uh, no person shall be a senator who is not over the age of 25 and ha have that the controlling qualification? I, 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 if, if, a, if Congress or the state passed a law that was absolutely flat-out contrary to those provisions uh, in Article 1, if they, made, if, they made it, if, they, if they made it contrary to it, then that would be unconstitutional. Well, just how, on the how about saying no person over 50? Uh, under 50, mm -hmm. saying, you know, Congress obviously was, con the con framers were concerned about age 35, and, you know, mm -hmm. we're also concerned about age. We think it should be 50. Could mm -hmm. that over override the 35-year-old provision? I think, I think there, you're, there you've got legislation going right at the heart of provisions that were put in the Constitution, and it, it could be that those are minimum qualifications or it could be that they could be enhanced with respect to age or so what, what, what's, your, what's your answer under your theory? My answer, sir, is that, that it would never stand up under the Fifth Amendment under Article I, Section 2. That but it, it, would, it could stand up under the, the framework we're talking about now, Article One. Possibly in the first instance, but it, 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 it hardly matters because it would so clearly violate those other provisions. Why would it violate those other provisions? Perfectly reasonable to change the age from 35 to 40 or 45. Why would that violate the Fifth Amendment? I, I, I think... I just don't understand the age is, We've held age is not a suspect classification. I think, in, I think in that case it would be, and, and in looking at it as a well, suspect. then the constitutional provision is invalid. The 35-year thing is, is irrational under your approach. Well, I don't understand why 40 is any more irrational than 35. Well, it would, it would have to be judged. It would have to be judged under the equal protection part of the And not under the qualifications clause. The qualifications clauses are there if, if a law is enacted that this Court believes contradicts those qualifications. That would no, be it's just merely what I thought was your basic position, that the state has every right to impose additional qualifications if it wants to. Yes. And I don't know why 40 years is any different than being an incumbent. Oh, but my position is not that the state can come in and impose any qualification it wants to. It's that the state... Well, any reasonable has, qualification. Well, any, any qualification that doesn't violate the other restrictions on the states, the 14th Amendment. This, I mean, this... I, I just have to say, I don't see why the 40-year thing would violate the 14th or 5th Amendment. I, 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 I defer to your judgment on that, but the analysis, Justice Stevens, would be 
an analysis. And if the analysis takes you to the conclusion it does not violate the 14th, then you'd have to face up to the question yes. whether they can have an additional qualification, which is what I thought this case was all about. But you seem to say they cannot have certain additional qualifications. No, I said, I said if they have one, it's absolutely contradictory. But if it's well, not why contra- is 40 contradictory to 35? It just well, supplements it. Well, we think I'll, 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 I'll defer to your honor on that. Castor, let's take an age. You can't run after the age of 70. Mm-hmm. Instead of upping the age from 35, mm-hmm. a mandatory retirement, which would not get you out of your equal protection problem. Well, it, it would be very much like Gregory and Ashcroft, wouldn't it? Because that was, that was upheld. A, a mandatory retirement was held not to violate the 14th Amendment. Basically, so, so if that was the qualification, nobody can run in this state after the age of 70. Mm-hmm. That the state could do that, and that would be a qualification. The state has done things like that for 200 years. That, that's our point. The, the states at the beginning said, not only do you have to be a resident of the state, you have to be a resident of the district. Now, that's a supplementation of... Uh, now, there are states that have said you can't run after the age of so-and-so for Congress? Mm-hmm. And... and uh, you said states have done that for years, but... Oh, not, not, not that, but states have added qualifications since the very beginning. And incidentally, they called them time, place, and manner regulations. Thank you, Mr. Kester. Thank you, Mr. Kester. Uh, Mr. Cohen, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. <clears throat> May it please the Court. Uh, my theory of the Constitution, which I think is also Madison's and Hamilton's theory of the Constitution on this point, is that the Constitution deals comprehensively with the filling of the office of, Cong- uh, of the Congress that it created, that it prescribes fixed qualifications that may not be supplemented by either Congress or the states, and that it gives both the states and Congress the power to set time, place, and manner regulations so as to assure fair and orderly elections, but that that is an essentially procedural power, uh, leaving the people at each election uh, to choose whom they please to govern them. Why, why didn't they put it differently then, uh, uh, Mr. Cohen? Uh, we, the, uh, the brief here have been referring to this as a qualifications clause. It's really not a qualifications clause. It's a, it's a disqualifications clause. They, they could have said uh, every person shall be eligible to serve in the House of Representatives uh, who shall have attained to the age of 25 years, shall have been seven years a citizen of the United States, and shall not one elected, uh, and, and shall be be one elected an inhabitant of that state in which he shall be chosen. It would be a very easy way to say it, but they, well, they, of course, they took the securest route of saying uh, no person shall be a representative who shall not have attained the age of 25 years in seven In other words, you, you can't, unless you have these conditions, but that isn't to say that just because you, you meet these conditions, you are eligible. It does, it does not say that. It's I agree that the constitutional congressional debate on the matter. I agree that the constitutional text doesn't resolve the issue because it phrases it that way. One reason why it may phrase it that way is because there are other disqualifications in the Constitution itself. Um, and uh, there was contemplation, of course, of further possible disqualifications. But 
uh, when Madison and Hamilton came to explain what the Constitution did when the House Committee on Elections in 1807 studied the meaning of that clause, uh, they concluded uh, that the intention was to make those uh, qualifications uh, exclusive. Well, you say the House Committee on Elections, Mr. Cohen. Uh, was, that, was the House Committee's view accepted by the full House? The full House didn't adopt the report, but I think it did accept the House Committee's view. It voted to seat Congressman McCreary, and it voted to seat Congressman McCreary uh, after a point in the debate when it becomes clear that the dissenter, Mr. Randolph of Virginia, uh, recognized that he was about to lose and uh, diverted, the, um, uh, diverted the House debate uh, to a more well, neutral that's resolution. That's speculative, isn't it? I mean, couldn't the uh, full House's uh, result have been also because some people thought that he was, in fact, a resident of Baltimore? That uh, he complied with the, with the, the, the state regulation? We don't know, we, we simply, of course, why anyone voted. We do know that the understanding uh, at the time, the scholarly understanding of what had been resolved in the McCreary episode was that well, the... That what, 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 how, how does the fact that the scholarly understanding meant that, does that elevate what actually happened into something different than that? <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. This court uh, reviewed this history in the Powell case, starting with the fact that on the on August 10, 1787, the question that was being voted on on the floor um, of the convention was whether to give uh, Congress the power to add a property qualification or to add other qualifications. This court said on that day, the court faced and rejected the possibility that the legislature and it was clearly talking about legislation and not merely about a judging power. The legislature would have the, op the, the power to usurp the right of the people to return whom they thought proper. Well, the, now you're not talking about the McCreary case. Well, I'm, I'm leading up to it. The court then went on. we got 40 minutes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I will. Um, let me move on. But the court reviewed... Uh, Hamilton's statement in, in, in the Federalist Number 60 that, that qualifications were unalterable by the legislature. Madison's statement to the same effect in Number 52, where he is clearly talking about state power to add qualifications. More clearly uh, than Hamilton, isn't he? Well, I think Hamilton, was when he referred to the legislature, was referring to Congress. But I think Madison is talking about the states. What was but the, I, do you remember the phrase in 52? I can't remember the, the text that you're referring to. You, you said that clearly refers to the states. Um, well, if, if it does, he was making a mistake, wasn't he? Because he, he, he also was excluding the state's uh, power to uh, change the qualifications of electors, which no. it obviously could. No, what he was doing in, in 52 was explaining how the Constitution had fixed both the qualifications for voters and the qualifications for the elected. It, it fixed the qualifications for voters by delegating that to the states subject to the most numerous branch uh, uh, compromise That's not much requirement. The fact is the states could change it so long as they were willing to change it for, for their, their most numerous uh, branch of the legislature. Madison uses the word fixed in the Federalist Number 52. I say it's a mistake. In relation to, in, in relation to the state constitutional provisions on this point. And he says... Um, uh, that 
in effect, that these are fixed because the states and the people of the states won't allow changes in state provisions for voting for the most numerous branch of the state legislature. So we've dealt with that problem. I would like to move on to the state's principal contention, which is we didn't do that. We just barred these people uh, who would like to disqualify. Mr. Cohn, may I ask whether, in your view, we owe any kind of precedential respect to the interpretation of history in Powell against McCormick? We're not dealing here with a new discovery by Professor Warren. We're dealing with what has already gone over. Uh, Mr. Kester has told us that, um, that perhaps some of the statements there, some of the conclusions weren't quite right, that there was room for other interpretations. I think that Powell is a very persuasive um, uh, opinion uh, and the Court should find it persuasive. I also think there is substantial additional evidence uh, on our side of this point that um, wasn't reviewed or reached in Powell. But did Powell uh, at I any think point purport to go beyond the decision whether Congress or a House of Congress could act? Um, it seems to me it, that it did not. It seems it to me that it, that's the limitation with the possible exception of your reference to 52, which I'm not sure of. That seems to me the, the, the problem with some of the, or at least the limitation, on the sites to the debate text and, and uh, say, Federalists uh, 60. Uh, it's clearly referring by legislature to the national legislature. Uh, and it seems to me that, that you're, you're, you're supporting legislative history, as it were. It doesn't take you beyond the limitation on Congress. The, it seems to me that Powell rests on the proposition that the qualifications were fixed in the Constitution and could not be supplemented uh, legislatively. Well, I, th- I think I, you're mistaken on that, Mr. Cohen. The holding of Powell clearly has to be that a single House of Congress cannot add to the qualifications otherwise legitimately set. Yes, but as this Court explained in the Judge Nixon case, the basis for that holding was not an aspect of the judging power as such. It was the fact that uh, that the that Article One, Section Two, fixed the qualifications that could be applied. There, there are two questions here. One is vis-a-vis Congress: Are we talking only about a judging power, or are we also talking about the power to legislate additional qualifications? It seems to me every point and argument that was made in Powell goes to the power to legislate, not to the power to judge. Although the ultimate question was only whether Congress so the ultimate judge. holding. Was the ultimate holding. I agree. Uh, but, but the logical foundation was that. And it then seems to me that the extension to the states um, uh, is straightforward. In the first place, some of the examples that the court used in Powell uh, was, were um, uh, state uh, additions of qualifications or attempts by states but to add qualifications. But it can't possibly be straightforward because Congress would, would need to have been given the power to make the alteration. That power would have had to be found within the Constitution. With respect to the states, that is not true. With respect to the states, you have the, the, the main thing that's relied on here, the Tenth Amendment. I There's think, nothing in Powell about the Tenth Amendment, is there? I think We the, didn't even consider the Tenth Amendment. I agree that I uh, need to go on to talk about those points. I don't think that the Tenth Amendment reserves... Do that, but, but, but you're trying to not have to do it by saying we've decided no, it all. No, no, no. Powell. No, I'm only saying that, that I think Powell um, did dispose of... 
uh, additional uh, qualifications. I don't think the, the uh, and, and I think that if you read the uh, admittedly uh, not uh, a, a clear and dispositive constitutional text as a preclusive list, there's simply no logical reason to think that it is preclusive vis-a-vis Congress and not preclusive uh, vis-a-vis the states. But I think that the, this is not a Tenth Amendment case because the Constitution doesn't leave the states or Congress the power to bar or to officially and materially prefer some qualified candidates over others. Well, Mr. Cohen, we have Storer, for example, right. which certainly prevented a candidate from appearing on a ballot, at least for a period of time. We did not treat that as a qualification, did we? That's right. And Storer. so, in theory, uh, this provision may not be a qualification at all. No. The fact that Storer said that the states have power to regulate access to the ballot in order to provide for fair and orderly elections, or, as in that case, uh, in order to uh, uh, preserve uh, the integrity of the various routes to the ballot so as to give people a choice, doesn't mean that the states may impose uh, ballot access uh, limitations based on place of birth or civil profession or prior service in the state legislature or prior service in Congress or being uh, under the age of, of 70. Uh, the Constitution... Those things, if you do it on those bases, it converts itself from a time, place, and matter restriction to a qualification. Yes, I think the... If it's a qualification, I assume that the House would sit in judgment of whether that qualification was met. I do not think that either the states or Congress may add qualifications. I'm happy to use the term qualification in the sense in which you suggested earlier, Justice Scalia, which is uh, uh, qualifications is something that... Uh, you can't serve if, if, that, if you don't have it. That says you can't serve if you don't have it. And that's not the case here. That is not the case here. But the state also uh, may not keep off the ballot in order to disadvantage somebody who lacks a substantive personal characteristic because the Constitution leaves those questions to the voters. Uh, every second year. Well, maybe, but certainly not because the state is is adding an additional qualification. I mean, it may be bad, but not for the reason that it's filing the, 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 the presumably exclusive qualifications clause. I will accept that with this with this exception. I think the, the I, I think the Arkansas Supreme Court um, was justified uh, in saying here. Um, this measure is impermissible for essentially the same reason. That is to say, the lawmakers of Arkansas, the people, were told, and then they said in the measure that they adopted, um, that the measure limited the terms of public officials. And the Arkansas Supreme Court simply rejected the argument that uh, something that did that, that tried to impose a qualification, if you will, could be saved on the argument that it just might not achieve its stated purpose because of a loophole, the write-in loophole, that has no significant history of working. May I just go back to Storer for a moment? Could you just state for me the criterion, the, the standard on which you would have us distinguish the Storer disability, we'll say, from, from this disability? 
Yes. Storer involved uh, a legitimate time, place, and manner regulation designed to uh, produce a fair and orderly election with a manageable ballot so that the people of California could choose by saying people who want to run in a prime, to, to be in a party um, uh, in connection with a particular election must run in that party's primary uh, and be the party's candidate. People who want to run as independents um, uh, must uh, leave a party early enough to assure the genuineness of their independence and the non-fracturing of the party. Orderly elections. It's it's orderly elections. elections. Now, it's quite different from it's. If I can use a metaphor, it's, it's, it's like the difference between saying that someone must run in his assigned qualifying heat in order to get into the, the finals of the 100-yard dash and saying that somebody who uh, won the medal last time uh, must start 50 yards behind the others uh, because we want to pass the medals around. One involves um, uh, procedural regulation that the, that the Constitution authorizes the states to do, and the other involves a state substantive preference for one class of candidates over another that I think is not part of the entire scheme uh, that is spelled out in some detail in the Constitution. You justify sore loser statutes uh, on the basis that they are procedural? Yes. And there's a good deal uh, of, uh, in addition to text, um, uh, legislative history um, that supports this reading. If you read uh, the, particularly the Federalists uh, of, of 59 and 60. Now, petitioners aren't very clear, to say the least, about whether the state's supposed power here uh, is is a power granted by the Time, Place, and Manner Clause or by the Tenth Amendment, I suggest that the reason they're not very clear is that neither argument works. Um, the Constitution explicitly gives Congress the superior power to make election regulations or to alter those of the states, but it plainly, uh, in doing so, means to limit the, the power of both the states and Congress to procedural matters. It seems to me that the argument that a state can impose ballot access restrictions under some power outside the time, place, and manner clause is answered in the clause itself, which contains the phrase make or alter. And incidentally, the, the primary reason for uh, uh, that phrase was a fear that the states might not set up the machinery for congressional elections at all. And, and so the, the make part of the make or alter phrase is, is an important part of it. Uh, the convention deliberately gave Congress the power to make or alter state regulations because, Hamilton said, an exclusive power of regulating elections for the national government in the hands of the state legislatures would leave the union entirely at their mercy. That's uh, the Federalist number 59. Mr. Cohn, what is your view as to whether something can be neither the one nor the other, neither a qualification nor a time, place, or manner restriction? Is, is, is there some... Uh, uh, I don't... If you mean by that something... Some restriction. Permissible. Something... Well, no, not permissible. So something well, that, that... Whether it's permissible or not, is, is there anything that does not fall within one or the other category? 
I gathered from your answer to my earlier question that you thought that there, that there was, that this that might indeed be it. No, I you think... You say it's, it's impermissible, but not because it is technically a qualification. That's right. That's right. I think there can be... But it's also not a time, place, and manner. That's right. That's so right. it is a third something or other, but an impermissible third something. That's right. I think for um, a state to say, on the whole, we don't think people over 70 ought to continue to serve unless their constituents really want them. And so we'll keep them off the ballot, but if they can win by a write-in, that's, that's okay. I think that is not a valid time, place, and manner regulation. I also would not urge uh, that anyone call it a qualification for the reason you point out that it is merely keeping someone um, off the ballot. I would then carve out an exception to that point for this. Abandoning the position of the Arkansas Supreme Court that it was a qualification. I think what. Uh, Yes or no. I'm. Because that was part of the rationale of their decision. I am. I am, re- I am reading, if, if, if that's the premise as to what it says, my answer is no. Uh, as to what Arkansas said, my answer is, is uh, yes, I, yes, I disagree with that. You're conceding that this is not a qualification in this case. I am arguing that it was appropriate for the Arkansas Supreme Court that, to say conceding that it's it, not it a does qualification. the effect. I'm willing to, yes, yes. yes. A rather yes. major concession. That, that, that's I, not uh, as I, a very reasonable one, Mr. Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how I understood your brief. Uh, uh, your, your first argument is the Constitution bars states and Congress from adding to the qualifications for service in Congress. I think that's important. And I don't think that I've made uh, a significant concession. I, our, we argue in the second section of the brief that... Uh, whether something is a qualification is not technically what's at issue here. Constitution bars adding qualifications. It also bars doing essentially the same thing indirectly, and I think that is the essence of what the Arkansas Supreme Court held. That well, but, but you begin with the major premise that a qualification cannot be added. And then, yes. you say, and then you say, and this is so like a qualification that it must be invalid. Is that yes, but I also say, But I also say that even if it is not a qualification, it is something that the states have no power to do because the states have, as Congress has, only the power that is granted to them under the Time, Place, and Manner Clause. And the Time, Place, and Manner Clause um, does not, and uh, the Time, Place, and Manner Clause does not authorize uh, states to draw uh, this kind of substantive distinction in the course of, of setting procedures for elections. I, I, I take it your, your position is, is that the state can require, uh, or the state can be forbidden from requiring its office holders to have the same qualifications as its electors? Uh, yes, I think it's clear that the Constitution gave the states uh, power to determine the qualifications of electors uh, that it did not give to determine the qualifications of office holders, so that a state of, of federal bar, office holders. A state could bar a felon from voting but not for running for office? Yes, because one is a matter of the state's business um, and the other is not. Not for running from office, not for running from federal office. I, there was a period of time when I was qualified to be president of the United States, but as a resident of the District of Columbia, I wasn't qualified to vote for one. Um, 
Mr. Cohen, what about a law that just uh, prohibits ballot access for one election, for example? Um, Do you I make think exactly the same argument? Do you make no distinction between such a law and the one here that well, is a lifetime inability? I make a distinction, but um, the distinction I would draw is that it seems to me the lifetime inability um, uh, demonstrates the falsity of the suggestion that this has something to do with incumbents. Um, I think the, that a bar for a single election uh, would uh, uh, run afoul of the same principle that, that I am asserting here, which is, uh, again, that the Constitution uh, gave that choice to the people every second year and gave the states only a limited uh, of, and fundamentally procedural role. Mr. Bryant says that all the examples of... I, I don't know what kind of a line you end up with in, in examining store, in knowing what is time, place, and manner regulation and what isn't. Uh, it's difficult for me to draw a clear line from what you say. Well, there, there may be some difficult cases in drawing lines in the, in the speech area. Uh, the court had to wrestle with whether a, a sound limitation on a, a rock band was a time, place, and manner uh, limitation or, as applied to that band, a, a content limitation. This is a clear case. This is an easy case. The court has sing- the, the, the state has singled out people based on a personal characteristic, and if they can do this under the time, place, and manner clause, Congress could, under the Time, Place, and Manner Clause, it seems to me, keep off the ballot for the Senate, anybody who hasn't served in the House, uh, and and so on. Uh, The state has singled out uh, for um, uh, this uh, burden people based on a substantive qualification that does not relate, a substantive characteristic that does not relate uh, to the election process or their compliance with reasonable procedures established by the state under the, its power under the Time, Place, and Manner Clause. Mr. Mr. Cohen, may, maybe you think this is a, this is a clear case. I, uh, some aspects of it, at least, I find I find very close. Where you have uh, Thomas Jefferson and Joseph Story on opposite sides of, uh, of of the issue, for example, whether the states have any power to add qualifications. That's that's a close case in my mind. Story, only, I mean, uh, Jefferson only in one letter in 1814, but okay. A letter he never retracted. Uh, <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, just, just, just positive, positive that I, I think it's, on that question at least, it's, it's very hard and very close. And, and in situations like that, I am inclined to credit the, the, the practice that, uh, that has been engaged in uh, uh, from the time when the Constitution was written. And there, there have indeed been a, a considerable number of, of state additional qualifications. I guess the most common being that in order to, to run for office, you have to be qualified as a voter, which brings in all sorts of uh, qualifications. You can't be a felon and, and so forth. Um, what, what, what is your response to that, in, in, in addition to some property qualifications in, in, in Virginia in, in, in the early days? I think, actually, if you sort through the lengthy appendices attached to the petitioner's briefs, 
there's very little there. The single most telling episode is that in 1789, Pennsylvania calls a constitutional convention to eliminate uh, differences between its constitution and the federal constitution and conflicts and repeals uh, its term limits for, fed- for, for service in Congress while keeping them for, for state officers. Uh, the only property qualification that I'm aware of is that Virginia had the word freeholder. Um, uh, other states that had property qualifications for state offices didn't impose them on for, for district resident offices. qualifications. District resident qualifications um, uh, strike me as uh, the kind of thing that somebody might. They certainly were imposed. They, they, they're the sort of thing that a state might fall into in making the arrangements. Um, uh, under the Time, Place, and Manner Clause. They are unconstitutional, um, as the Committee on Elections uh, determined in, uh, in 1807 in the McCreary case and as several courts uh, uh, have, have determined. But there were quite a few of them, and, 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 and they persist. They're, they're still out there, aren't they, these, these horrible things? Um, it's possible that not every state uh, went back and, and, and read the uh, annals of the uh, to see the McCreary episode and immediately repealed its statute, I think they are and would be held and have been held uh, unconstitutional because the voters of a state can, if they choose, pick uh, 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 candidates who come yeah, held from by another what district. Author- by what authority? You say they've been held unconstitutional. By, by several uh, state and lower federal courts. Uh, recently or? Um, actually, yes, I think most of the cases are fairly recent. Um, the uh, Constitution gave the federal government only delegated powers to govern people's lives and activities, but it seems to me, again, that it it dealt comprehensively with filling the offices that the Constitution itself created. There's an overall design to give we the people every two years um, the power to select who will represent them in Congress, um, subject only to fixed qualifications and reasonable, fundamentally procedural regulations that the state is given power to um, adopt, subject to congressional supersession. Um, If if now uh, congressional term limits are not a fad but a considered national judgment, the way to impose them is in Article 5. Thank you, Mr. Cohen. Thank you. Uh, General Days, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I want to reinforce the extraordinary and anomalous nature of Petitioner's argument in terms of the powers of Congress. We think that a fair reading of Powell versus McCormick and the Nixon case are that Congress may not add to the textual qualifications set out in the Constitution with respect to service in Congress. You agree that was not the holding of the Powell case? I do, Mr. Chief Justice. But I also want to underscore the fact that this Court, after an exhaustive review of the pre-constitutional, the Constitutional Convention, the ratification, and the post-ratification history, concluded that those requirements were fixed in the Constitution. I think that's the reading of Powell that's and Nixon together. That's, that's dicta, is it not? Yes, yes, uh, Mr. Chief Justice. We are not bound by dicta. 
that is correct, but I think that this case does not necessitate this Court's reviewing the history that it found in Powell versus McCormick, and much of the evidence that's been brought forward well, was addressed by this Court. Well, how, how, how about the McCreary episode, where now it, it appeared apparently to the Powell Court that the committee report was, had the same validity as another committee report, perhaps, were, which was adopted by the full. Now it appears this report was not adopted by the House. Doesn't that cast some doubt on the historical abilities of the, of the Powell Court? Well, Mr. Chief Justice, that's one piece, and I think uh, my co-counsel well, is correct. Falsus and uno, falsus and uno. <laughs> well, I, Mr. Chief Justice, I would be the last person to suggest that this court was in error when it reviewed the history uh, in Powell versus McCormick. We're all in big trouble if that maxim is going to be applied, I must Indeed. <laughs> but let's look at uh, the, the argument that the petitioners have put forward uh, they seem to rely principally upon the times, places, and manner provision, Article 1, Section 4. But we have to remember that the power there is one shared coextensively by Congress. Where does that lead the petitioners uh, with respect to their arguments? If it is a qualification, then the states may add and the Congress may add, if that's what they're relying upon. Uh, this creates an interesting situation that I think Justice Scalia and Justice Souter were alluding to. That is, uh, if the states can set qualifications, then presumably under Article 1, Section 5, Congress can judge those qualifications, not against uh, the constitutional textual qualifications, but the potentially myriad qualifications that states could set up uh, along the lines of the ones that have been uh, provided by Amendment 73. If it is a manner, then the states may bar access to the ballot, but Congress also may bar access to the ballot. And it is not a power in Congress that has to await action by the states. The term is make or alter, which suggests that in the absence of any action by the states, Congress on its own could impose the same types of requirements that Amendment 73 imposes. But we would suggest that this is not a manner. This is not times, places, and manner. This is a qualification with due respect to my co-counsel. I think it's unavoidable that this is a qualification. Let me suggest why that is so. First of all, the times, places, and manner requirement, as my co-counsel has set out, was designed to ensure the fairness and the efficiency and the accuracy of the legislative process, the electoral process. Uh, Justice Ginsburg, you pointed out that in our First Amendment jurisprudence, it is a procedural cast that the Court has given to the concept of time, place, and manner. And I believe lifted the language from um, Section 4. Yes, I always wondered where that came from, and, and now with further uh, study I understand that. But how do we know that it's a qualification as opposed to a manner? Uh, Justice Souter, you asked that question. I think Justice O'Connor also asked the question. And I think the answer lies in uh, the fact that Storrow versus Brown was focused on one election cycle. That is, the, the burdens that were imposed upon the would-be candidates in Storrow versus Brown were based upon their failure during the election cycle to do the types of things that California law required. Uh, our view is that any burden placed on a candidate for Congress 
based upon conduct that has not occurred during the election cycle in question is a qualification. If it's a qualification, Congress has to be able to judge it. Now, now, let's assume that somebody gets elected without complying with this qualification. Somehow his name gets on the, on the Arkansas ballot accidentally by, by a mistake or by some corrupt act. And he gets elected. And he appears before the House, and, and the committee is to judge his qualifications. Can they exclude him? If Congress can rely only upon the textual qualifications, then they cannot exclude him. No, 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 no. I mean, uh, assuming that this is a qualification and a valid qualification. Yes. Assuming it's a qualification and a valid qualification, I don't see how any congressional committee could possibly exclude him. He's entitled to serve. He's been elected. I agree with you, Justice Souter, that there would be no... disabled from serving. There would be no point of reference. Uh, Congress, a House of Congress, could not, under Article I, Section 5 do very much at all. It certainly could try, but I agree with you. That I it would have no the reason is because it is not a qualification. Arkansas has not said this person may not serve. It simply said this person may not run for office and be listed on the ballot. If he accidentally gets listed on the ballot, he may serve. Justice Scalia, I... To me, I, say it's not a qualification. It's something that maybe it, you, 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 you can right. argue, as Mr. Cohen does, that it has the same effect, and therefore it's bad. Well, I, I do You're argue that. to argue that it is itself a qualification. It, it doesn't, it doesn't really make any difference, uh, okay. Justice well, Scalia. fine. That, because, and that argument because, I can understand. All right, fine. <laughs> it, whatever, whatever that unidentified flying object is, that's neither a qualification nor a time, place, and manner uh, restriction, is unconstitutional, because states cannot derive from the Constitution the power to impose whatever we want to call it. But if you make that argument, what do you do about the Tenth Amendment? With these, I would agree uh, with my counsel. Why does the Tenth Amendment preserve the right of the states to use all the flying objects they want to? <laughs> Justice Stevens, I, I think this Court has made very clear that the Tenth Amendment restates divisions of authority that are provided elsewhere in the Constitution. And the very idea that the Tenth Amendment could give states the power somehow to fill in the gaps with respect to the federal structure uh, when we're talking about uh, provisions that do not grant Congress explicitly the power to address them or deny to the states explicit power to deal with them, that somehow the Tenth Amendment provides that, uh, that power. I think, if anything, the Tenth Amendment uh, is reinforced by the times, places, and manner provision. Uh, that might be viewed as something that the Tenth Amendment reinforces or vice versa. But I don't see how the Tenth Amendment could come into play under these circumstances. It is truly an anomalous reading of the Tenth Amendment and this Court's jurisprudence. I wanted to, to touch upon... Yes, uh, Justice Breyer. Go back to what I think was Justice O'Connor's question, which is, I take it that your basic position is that no additional qualifications can be provided by states. That is correct. All right. It says they shall choose whoever they want, the Constitution, subject to certain listed disqualifications. That is correct. Birth would be no good. Property would be no good. Being serviced in the legislature would be no good. Term limits would be no good. And being a, pre and being a member of a political party, such as being chosen by the Democrats or Republicans, would be no good. That's correct. Right. right. But then in store, I take it, it's okay to, through this back door, insist on one of the qualifications, namely being chosen by the party. 
Yes. But why, then, isn't it okay to insist on this other one, namely the term limits one? Well, as I, I indicated just uh, I, I, I think, I, I, think just, I just want to get a very... Well, there's, a, there's a temporal quality here. Mm -hmm. uh, the requirement with respect to being a member of the party, or if you wanted to run as an independent not being a member of a party, is related to the integrity of the electoral process. And it focuses on that election cycle. Uh, the people who were disqualified in store can, in the next election cycle, prepare themselves to qualify according to the rules of California. Under Amendment 73, once a member of Congress has served three terms in the House of Representatives or two terms in the Senate, there is nothing that that person can do to conform his or her behavior. Well, would your answer be different then in a state which has just adopted a one-time interruption of the ballot access, as some have? Uh, it would not be different. I didn't think you were relying on that distinction. I am not. It, uh, you asked about the uh, lifetime disqualification. I don't think it makes any difference whether it's for a few years or a lifetime disqualification. It's still... That's what you were just arguing in response to uh, Justice. I, I didn't understand uh, uh, myself to be uh, responding in that fashion. I am don't you also, or wouldn't you also in that case accept the point that Mr. Cohen made, uh, that there was a justification in Stora based on, on uh, a demand for orderly election procedure, and that complements the point that you've also made about the, the significance of the permanence of the disqualification in this case. Yes, exactly, exactly so. I take it you did not mean to concede that a state could say you have to be a Republican or you have to be a Democrat. That you could be an independent. Or well, you had to be independent early enough to make it persuasive. That's right. I mean, the, the, the requirements would obviously want to file under those circumstances of First and Fourteenth Amendment uh, uh, criteria. Uh, so I was not suggesting that they would, they would fly under those circumstances. I just wanted to... Uh, address a couple of other points that were raised during the argument, and that is that, uh, Justice Scalia, you talked about the, the disqualification clause. Uh, this court in Powell uh, canvassed the history of that particular formulation and locution, and I think what the court concluded was uh, it was done by the Committee of Style, and the Committee of Style had no authority to change the substance. And indeed, during that period, it was quite uh, uh, often the case that alternative formulations uh, were used that had no substantive significance. The people who voted for this Constitution know that? Uh, I'm sure some of them did. I mean, uh, they were a very learned bunch. I don't care what the committee said and what the committee changed. I mean, it was a Constitution as written that was promulgated to the people. And they, they adopted it, reading it as it was written. I don't think they knew what happened in the committee in style. Or, well, that, you know, I'm sure that we do. I mean, we, we, we're taking James Madison's word for it all, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Well, he's a fairly we credible source, uh, Mr. <laughs> Justice Scalia. We could do worse, I think, uh, Justice Cedar, was your, was your point. Uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist, you asked about uh, residency requirements, and Justice Scalia, you, you asked about various uh, uh, limitations. There have been some recent decisions, uh, one in 1968, Exxon versus Tymon, uh, in the uh, District of Nebraska, where uh, residency requirements were struck down. This was also the case in uh, Chavez versus Evans uh, in 1968 in New Mexico, where the courts concluded that states did not have the power to impose those types of restrictions. Uh, Mr. Chief Justice and the other members of the court, 
Amendment 73 is unconstitutional. It is not a qualification in the sense that if it is a qualification, it violates the Constitution, and it does not fit into the time, place, or manner powers granted to states under the Constitution. It seems to me that if what Arkansas has done here can be done not only by other states but by Congress, we have closed the door that Madison had in mind that would be open to merit of every description with respect to service in the United States Congress. We urge this Court to affirm the judgment below. Thank you very much. Thank you, General Days. Uh, Mr. Bryan, you have seven minutes remaining. General Bryan. Thank you. General Bryan, before you start, how, how many terms did Senator McClellan serve? Uh, Your Honor, Senator McClellan served at least uh, five terms and was probably into a sixth term. Thank you. Two points, uh, Your Honor. First is uh, the respondent, Mr. Cohen, has uh, conceded uh, that Amendment 73 uh, does not amount to a qualification. Under that scenario, it's the state's position, uh, as I originally stated, that Amendment 73 is a ballot access regulation, clearly permissible under Article I, uh, Section 4 of the Constitution. And the Arkansas court held that Amendment 73 was, in fact, a qualification. Under that scenario, uh, we request the court to reverse, uh, this court to reverse the Arkansas court. And, and if it were a qualification, then would you lose? Uh, no, Your Honor. And if why, on, if it were thinking on a qualification, I take it if the states can pass qualifications such as the one at issue, they also could pass qualifications setting requirements of birth or property or previous service in the state legislature or add on to the list almost indefinitely. And why should we think that the Constitution, particularly with Hamilton and Madison, intended to give the states the power to create that kind of Congress? Your Honor, under your scenario, uh, article, uh, the states can add additional qualifications. That is our position. Uh, any qualifications added, of course, would be subject to First and Fourteenth Amendment uh, scrutiny. So uh, any scenario that the state came up with that uh, violated First and Fourteenth Amendment uh, would, in fact, uh, uh, not pass constitutional muster. Uh, the, the Tenth Amendment uh, gives the states the authority uh, to adopt additional qualifications. And as already been pointed out here, uh, the states, uh, all the states in this uh, union have a number of uh, qualifications on their books. Arkansas requires a candidate for Congress to be a registered voter. A registered voter cannot be a felon or a mental incompetent. Arkansas, uh, the Arkansas Constitution prohibits a, sent a senator who is appointed uh, from running uh, uh, for re-election. So Arkansas has a number of laws on its books, both statutory and constitutional, uh, that amount to qualifications under uh, the respondents' theory, and if qualifications. But my question actually was, why would Hamilton or Madison, who after all were writing before the 14th Amendment was passed, think that it was possible that this Constitution would permit qualifications for the Congress based upon birth or property? And why would we today think that a state could pass a rule saying to be in Congress, you have to be a previous member of the state legislature, for example. 
Your Honor, our position is that Madison and, uh, and Hamilton uh, uh, did not uh, preclude the state from adding additional qualifications under the Tenth Amendment. So, so therefore, Hamilton and Madison, when they wrote the Federalist and said to the people, don't worry about creating a government of birth or property, that they were wrong in that. Uh, your Honor, uh, no, Your Honor, because uh, uh, the, the, under the state's position, uh, any qualification that went to the point you suggested uh, would be uh, unconstitutional under the four, First uh, this Amendment. Before, you know. uh, yes. Uh, well, I, I, I guess that, that, that Madison and Hamilton and the people they were writing for weren't worried about their state legislatures. They felt that their state legislatures were responsive to the people. They were worried about whether this new animal that was being created would be responsive to the people. And they weren't about to give it vast powers to impose qualifications that their own people didn't like. Uh, that's the only explanation for the fact that in all of this discussion, there, there's no category, in, in, in the debates, there's no categorical mention about this issue, about the states adding qualifications. They weren't worried about the states. The states were, were the people as far as they were concerned. Isn't that, isn't that the response to why uh, yes, Madison and Hamilton? Yes, yes, Your Honor. That is correct. Are, are you aware of any case in which we have said that a state may impose a burden or restriction by reason of the fact that someone has previously exercised a federal right or privilege? I'm not sure I follow the question, Your Honor. Are you aware of any case in which we have said that a state may impose a burden or restriction on a person by reason of his or her having exercised a federal right or privilege? Uh, if I understand uh, your uh, question, Your Honor, yes, I think the Storer case uh, fit that. I think the Burdick case fit that. And the test uh, in those cases, uh, those cases uh, stood for the proposition that a state can't add additional qualifications or barriers. What was the addition? What was the federal right or privilege exercised in Stora? This was someone who had signed up as a member of a party and didn't quit early enough. Uh, your Honor, in store, the uh, federal right of privilege would have been the uh, candidate attempting to run for Congress as an independent candidate, uh, but was re precluded from doing so by California law. And in that, uh, in that particular instance, uh, uh, the state had erected a barrier, but by the same token, under the First and Fourteenth Amendment analysis, uh, the state uh, that a barrier passed constitutional muster. And we submit that uh, Amendment 73 uh, falls in that category and is clearly the most temporal of the of limitations. Though it was kind of like you have to be um, living in a state a certain amount of time before you can get a divorce. It was, it was very uh, transient. I'm, uh, if I understand your cor uh, question correctly, uh, those uh, qualify those uh, prohibitions were temporary in that the candidate could run subsequently, but by the same token, Amendment 73 uh, allows a candidate to serve for a certain number of terms before Amendment 73 comes into effect. Thank you, General Bryan. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock. <laughs>